You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to this week's Domecast. I'm Colin Campbell from the News and Observer. Uh, joining us for our uh, podcast this week, we've got a, a full cast of uh, in and O journalists. Lynn Bonner's here, Will Doran's here, and uh, Craig Jarvis is joining us as well. Uh, got a full show for you. Uh, been another busy week in politics. Yet another week of talking about uh, House Bill 2 and, and all the fallout from businesses and, and other reaction protests and whatnot uh, happening this week. So we'll get to that a little bit more in the second segment. Uh, we're going to start out by talking about uh, news that kind of got a little bit overshadowed this week by the uh, big PayPal announcement on House Bill 2, uh, and that's the governor's uh, education plan coming out uh, at a news conference in Greensboro uh, earlier this week. He announced some uh, plans for teacher raises that he's hoping to get through the legislature in this short session. And uh, joining us to talk about that, Lynn Bonner of the News and Observer. Lynn, tell us a little about what the uh, governor has uh, proposed and uh, how likely this is to actually uh, get through. Well, the uh, press conference is a reminder that um, the uh, short session is coming up soon and that education is going to be a big part of what they're going to be talking about. Um, the teacher raise part of it um, is obviously going to be substantial and something that is going to be uh, hotly debated um, over the next few months. Uh, the governor proposed average 5% raises for teachers and bonuses of 3500 for the most veteran teachers, uh, teachers with 25 years or more, and $1,100 bonuses for others. Um, of course, uh, later in the week, it came out that not all teachers will be getting raises. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly who is going to get what percentage. I mean, um, average 5% with some people getting nothing. Uh, you know, there can be some very wide ranges in there. Um, it's And it's also going to be interesting to see what the uh, teacher salary schedule looks like. Um, so specifics are still uh, largely unknown at this point. But as I said, it's going to be, um, you know, something that is going to be top of mind for legislators and the governor as we're as we head into the election season. Um, we know that uh, some a bit back... Um, June Atkinson, state superintendent, proposed uh, a 10% base increase along with some other layers of a wedding cake, as she uh, described it, um, some uh, additional pay for teachers who took on more uh, responsibilities. Um, that's something the governor has toyed with uh, over time, but now he seems to, with this proposal anyway, seems to have moved away from uh a kind of um, merit pay, but he did propose something that uh, would be of interest to uh, people interested in in recruiting teachers, which is setting up a um, scholarship for uh, university students who want to be math or science teachers, um, uh, specialty teachers that have been particularly hard to hire. Okay. So with the uh, pay increases, this is pretty much, uh, assuming it actually goes through the way the governor's outlined it, would this be uh, significantly larger than we've seen in the last couple of years, or is this kind of on par with the sort of uh, steps that we've taken year to year in terms of pay? Well, it's been all over the place uh, in terms of pay. Uh, you know, t- a couple of years ago, there were average 7% increases, uh, another election year, 2014. Um, but... Uh, those raises gave 
really substantial increases to early career teachers. And, you know, there were some veteran teachers that saw almost nothing. I get, I think their increases were 0.3%. So uh, that left um, veteran teachers feeling um, pretty angry. Uh, so, but, and, and last year, as you remember, there were no raises, but $750 bonuses. Um, so it's, teacher raises have been all over the place. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, as I said, it's still unknown what's going to happen with, uh, with this year, because there's, you know, no guarantee that what McCrory has, has proposed will go through. Um, I called... Uh, you know, the leadership earlier this week to see, you know, what they thought of this and heard nothing back. So I'm sure they have their own ideas about what they want to do. Yeah. Didn't Tim Moore push back on June Atkinson, though, a while yeah, back? Did and he, he was saying closer to 2%. So that would be less than the, the governor oh, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, right. But, and who knows what the Senate's thinking of. So Yeah, because yeah. we haven't heard anything from Berger yet no, on that. No, nothing, yeah. nothing yet. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how that proceeds in the the short session always seems to be a a big topic uh, when we get into an election year and everyone's got opponents or at least a few of them have opponents huge Um, topic yeah so uh, So i I noticed the the timing of this kind of got overshadowed because the governor had this big rollout in in greensboro but that was the same morning paypal announced that they were going to move jobs from charlotte um i saw some of reaction people saying that this was supposed to be a distraction did you get a sense for whether this was planned well in advance or whether the governor was was trying to time this to get away from hb2 hb2 well um you know the governor's people said that you know this was planned far in, far in advance and had nothing to do with, uh, you know the timing of HB two, um, and it is you know usually the time when uh, we start thinking about budgets, but it is uh, a bit unusual with uh, you know considering the pattern of uh, previous governors. Um, McCrory has been a little different because he's sort of previewed little chunks of his budget. Um, you know, a, a few weeks before uh, the legislature comes back, but um, you know, it's uh, it was interesting timing. Yeah, I, I suspect if you're if you're the governor's people, you're wishing maybe if you did it this week, maybe not the same day as PayPal. But exactly. I guess they, I, I know that for a fact that was at least already on his calendar when PayPal announced that, and I don't know that PayPal gave them any sort of advance heads up of what they were going to do. Well, I think. There was some, I, I read something that said that PayPal told him in advance, but um, uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah. So uh, I guess if you're an early career teacher, this might not be your year in terms of um, getting a, a, a bigger raise given that they've uh, boosted the entry pay last year. I guess what was it, 35000 is the. Right, is the new baseline. But who knows? I mean, as I said, you know, we, a lot of people said, well, we really need to div- dig into the specifics because. Um, you know, average 5% could mean anything. Yeah, and um, they haven't offered us any sort of detailed breakdown of how that Not so far, out. not so far. Um, what we're really going to see um, when he preve- presents the budget in his entirety are the details of how he's arranged, rearranged the pay schedule, which is another big thing. We don't know what the legislature is going to go along with. And who exactly will get most of the raises. I mean, bonuses are one thing because they're one time. Uh, and, you know, next year there could be no bonuses. So, um, yeah, uh, details um, are going to mean everything here. 
Yeah, for sure. And I guess it's going to be an issue in the governor's race. We've already heard from Roy Cooper some on uh, criticizing where North Carolina stands in terms of right. of teacher pay. Yeah, um, yeah. And and Cooper's campaign popped out as soon as that announcement was out. Well, this is just too little, too late, and we're still, you know, near the bottom with uh, average teacher raises. So um, it's all going to play into the session and into the elections. All right. Thanks, Lynn. Well, we're going to take a break and we'll be back to uh, go through this week's uh, developments of House Bill 2 and the uh, uh, soon starting to be infamous uh, LGBT law here in North Carolina. Stay with us. Okay, so five tacos of cheese and a large soda. That's $10,012. Please drive around. 10000 what? It's obvious you're buzzed and driving. I've only had a few. I'm fine. Yeah, the food's 12 bucks, but getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Please drive around. Actually, just park and come in. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to this week's edition of Domecast, our state and government, state government and political podcast from the News and Observer and the Insider. I'm Colin Campbell from the News and Observer, and we're going to turn next to uh, the topic that we can't seem to get away from here on Domecast or in the news cycle in general. House Bill Two, the uh, known as the LGBT law that goes beyond that into some uh, workplace discrimination issues that uh, haven't been covered in the, the same depth as the uh, transgender bathroom uh, side of the issue. Um, big story this week out of that was the announcement by PayPal that the uh, 400 job expansion that they had announced uh, not that long ago for the Charlotte area, uh, they are now canceling that over House Bill 2. Uh, The reaction uh, seemed to be uh, pretty strong from Republicans in immediately turning on PayPal and uh, looking at at ways to criticize PayPal for its uh, actions and and operations in third world countries. Uh, Will Doran's with me uh, from the News and Observer. Will, you did a little bit about the um, backlash about uh, who's doing business in what, you know, pariah third world nat- nation and what that means. Uh, tell us a little about uh, what what uh, claims we've heard out there and and how that actually shakes out with the, the economic situation with companies and even the state dealing with these countries that are, have some not so great human rights records. Yeah, well, it, w- it was very interesting to me, um, you know, after some of the the backlash to PayPal, um, I got curious, you know, people were saying, oh, well, you know, PayPal is too good for North Carolina, but they're going to go ahead and work in Iran and Sudan and Cuba. And so I was curious, you know, what other North Carolina large companies are also working in those countries? And it turns out that there's quite a few. Um, Cuba is worth... Uh, around $20 million a year to various North Carolina businesses, even while we've had the trade embargo on them for years because there's been some exemptions for agriculture. And um, Cuba is actually a very lucrative market for uh, turkey producers from North Carolina, which I thought was fairly interesting. And there's close to 200 jobs in North Carolina through all industries that are kind of supported by trade with Cuba. Um, and um, then, But then I also thought, well, what about... You know, I mean, Cuba, you know, we've we've got better relationships with them now. What about these other countries, you know, Sudan, Iran? Um, and it turns out that um, North Carolina taxpayers have actually given millions of dollars in incentives to countries um, that either have been or still currently are um, on the list of 
companies that are prohibited for the state retirement system to invest in because of their, uh, you know, pariah standing in the international world order. Um, Sudan, which is led by a uh, wanted war criminal, Omar al-Bashir, um, has, uh, has done some business with some subsidiaries of Caterpillar, um, which has also received about $40 million in incentives from the state, plus millions more from local governments, um, while it has been you know, on the list of companies that uh, the state treasurer's offices uh, banned from investing in because of uh, you know, Caterpillar's work in Sudan. And um, with Iran, um, Siemens, the energy company that employs hundreds of people in Charlotte and in Wendell here in uh, Wake County, um, was uh, on the banned list from 2012 to 2015 for doing work in Iran and uh, you know, potentially helping fund the country's nuclear program directly or indirectly was the uh, rationale for that. It has since been removed um, as of February this year from that list. So Siemens is no longer on the banned list. They're back in the, the good graces of state leaders. But uh, even while they were on the banned list, they received close to $10 million in taxpayer dollars. Yeah, so I guess the, uh, the sort of general message is you're, you can do whatever you need to do overseas and still get incentives, but once you pull the jobs out of North Carolina, you are, are, are fair game for, uh, you know, political targets. Um, right, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jo- jobs are key. <laughs> yeah, and, and I noticed after PayPal, there's a lot of talk about whether um, other businesses were going to follow the suit. Uh, I guess we haven't seen any, any big uh, companies on that level threatened to, to pull out of North Carolina. There was that, uh, I guess it was a pharmaceutical company in Durham that was considering yeah. reconsidering their expansion. Um, but other than that, we it's they, been mostly, I think, conferences and stuff that have said that they're not going to come to North Carolina. There was one film crew for a, I think, a Hulu original yeah, was, show that Lions pulled out of Charlotte. Game, yeah, that uh, they were doing a, a Hulu show that uh, hadn't gotten that far along. Uh, although I did notice that... Um, Lionsgate, the same company, has uh, said they're too far along with Dirty Dancing remake in the Asheville area, and also they got a fair amount of uh, state film grant dollars for that. So they're not—they're leaving that put, but they're—they're going to take this other thing out, which right. I think has, some people have <laughs> considered to be a little bit hypocritical. That you know, you're on the one hand, this production that wasn't getting state money, we're going to move that to Canada. I think Vancouver was where it was going to go, uh, but at the same time, this other thing that thinks got several million dollars worth of state grant funds for. Uh, Dirty Dancing uh, Part Two sequel, I don't know, remake, whatever, whatever it is, uh, is still going to be uh, done in North Carolina. Uh, so we've gotten all that sort of uh, uproar from from the business community, and uh, for those of us who, who spend our entire days on Twitter, which I always feel like Twitter kind of leans a little bit more liberal, at least in terms of the, the louder voices on there, uh, has been fairly negative in response to HB2. Uh, but we finally got uh, one um, poll, uh, or at least one, uh, I think, more or less unbiased poll on uh, people's opinions across the state about House Bill 2. Uh, prior to House Bill 2 passing, uh, the only polls I was able to find were uh, very um, sort of partisan. In effect, the, the questions were extremely leading. The one poll said, do you support a non-discrimination ordinance in Charlotte? And of course, most people think, oh, discrimination is bad. So that would, people were like, oh, two-thirds of people think the Charlotte ordinance was fine. Well, that's not entirely true based on the question. On the flip side of that, the poll, another poll was asking people if they supported men in the women's bathrooms, which also was sort of a leading question that, of course, got two-thirds of people to say, no, I don't think men should be in the women's bathroom, which is not really what the, the Charlotte ordinance was was getting at in the first place. 
So finally, we've got a poll that uh, asked the question in a little bit more uh, sort of unbiased manner. It was the Time Warner News North Carolina poll uh, conducted by the national firm Survey USA, and they basically um, asked the uh, the question in this way, they said a state law, new, new state law in North Carolina bans local governments from passing anti-discrimination rules and overturns the Charlotte ordinance that would have allowed transgender people to use the bathroom corresponding to their gender identity. Was overturning the Charlotte ordinance a good idea or a bad idea? And uh, so what they found was that 51% of uh, the 540 registered voters they uh, called up for this said that, yes, it was a good idea to overturn the Charlotte ordinance, while 40% said it was a bad idea and 9% were not sure. Um, it's interesting. I looked into the uh, breakdown of this. Uh, pretty much works out the same between the two genders. Um, age breakdown, which I was a little bit surprised by, uh, seemed to be pretty much the same across the board. Um, uh, there wasn't a huge difference between people who are, say, 65 and older and uh, perhaps less aware of, uh, of transgender people than uh, had the same percentage for folks 18 to 34. Um, Party affiliation, not surprisingly, had a lot to do with it. Seventy-two uh, percent of Republicans thought that the Charlotte ordinance or overturning it was a good idea, while thirty uh, percent of Democrats uh, thought that overturning the Charlotte ordinance was a smart thing to do. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I think as you get down to the weeds, also in terms of how, how it helps McCrory or Cooper, that was also pretty evenly split. I thought the whole poll, despite that overall number showed a real divi even division in the state over this issue. Yeah, so I'm looking at this other question. Does Governor Pat McCrory's handling of the new state law make your opinion of him more positive, more negative, or does it make no difference? And the answers to that, 35% said it made their uh, opinion of McCrory more positive. 39% said it was more negative, and 24% said the whole thing didn't really make a difference to how they thought about yeah. Governor McCrory, and uh, the same for Cooper. Uh, but another interesting aspect of it was they asked, I think, if uh, – the issue makes you more likely, less likely, or have no influence on your decision to vote at all, not, not really who you were voting for. And 56% said this made them more likely to vote. So people are concerned about this issue, even though it's really uh, divided down the middle and, and very much uh, based on sort of where you fall on the political spectrum. And not something that's had a lot of discussion, really. It seems like it just, uh, other than in some states, but here, it really just popped up all of a sudden. Yeah, and that's when I, you know, I was uh, working on this story that's going to come out in Sunday's paper about how uh, House Bill 2 is being perceived in, in rural areas. So I got sent out to Sampson County and spent an afternoon uh, wandering around talking to random people on the street in, in downtown Clinton, North Carolina, about an hour south of Raleigh. And uh, the pretty much the uniform answer I was getting from people was people said that initially they heard about this in the news and they didn't really know what to make of it. They, it was an issue they hadn't even thought of. Um, and once they, they heard a fair amount about it, they, they sympathized with the uh, safety concerns, this idea that, you know, opening bathrooms up to people of who are transgender and identify with a different gender than, than what they were born as uh, is going to prompt some sort of concerns and, and make it easier for a, a pedophile or a sex offender to, to go in a bathroom and, and cause some problems. Um, but at the same time, when I asked them about these other uh, provisions of it, the thing about uh, making it harder to uh, file workplace discrimination lawsuit, uh, revoking non-discrimination ordinances at the city level that included sexual orientation, uh, they had no idea about those things. They, they weren't aware of them. They didn't really have an opinion. Uh, and then the other question I, I was asking folks, figuring this would be the case in a, in a rural community, was um, 
do you know anyone who's transgender? And uh, uniformly, none of them did. They, they hadn't heard of anyone in their town who was openly transgender. Uh, a couple of the people I talked to actually were confusing the terms transgender with gay and lesbian. So one woman started telling me that uh, she thought that uh, that lesbians shouldn't be allowed in the bathroom. And I'm thinking, that's that's not the issue here at all. And, about. Yeah, the lesbians have that no problem. Yeah. It complicates real fast because we don't, we're not used to talking about it. And, uh, you know, it, when it comes down to a biological woman who might have a beard is now going to be forced to use a women's bathroom uh, I don't think people foresee that as one yeah, of the yeah, implications. One of the people I talked to for my story was a, a transgender woman, I think in her 50s, uh, who lives in Johnston County, is running for Johnston County Commissioner, obviously in a very conservative uh, sort of rural county. Uh, and she told me that you know, this isn't really going to change how she handles herself. She's going to continue to go to the women's restroom. And she said when she began transitioning from male to female uh, and you know started dressing as a woman, uh, the, initially she went to the men's room once. And that was the last time she went to the men's room because uh, some guys in there called the cops. They thought that there was a woman in the men's room and that was a problem. So mm. she said that she then started going to the women's restroom and has since not really had any problems. We've probably all been passing in the night and not even knowing it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what a lot of people, maybe not if you're not familiar with transgender people, and I think I think even uh, I feel like I'm somewhat aware of, of transgender people, maybe not as, as, as well as I should be, uh, but I was a little bit surprised in, in covering this story and going to a lot of these, these rallies and speeches that a lot of the people who identified themselves in these uh, hearings as transgender, I would have had no clue yeah. uh, that they were transgender had they not said it. And I think that's sort of the, the misconception, particularly in, in rural areas where I, I think people's mind immediately goes to these uh, this, this common pastime in small towns of the womanless pageant where the, the fine ups standing men of the community put on a dress and a wig and, and dance around for charity and and that's their idea of what uh, that a transgender someone person just someone does that full time which of course is is not actually uh the case for for most transgender people um but it's, it's certainly a an interesting issue to grapple with and and uh that sort of brings me to, to will's fact check last week on the claim that uh, an ordinance like what Charlotte was passing uh, was going to create uh, safety concerns. And, and we've seen, uh, I think, a lot of the, the conservative groups uh, supporting the bill have been very quick to point out news articles about some sort of uh, sexual predator or uh, pedophile or, or pervert or whatever going into a women's restroom uh, wearing a dress or a wig or something and then, you know, assaulting someone, exposing themselves, something like that. But it's in these isolated incidences. So once you actually looked into it, Will, what was seemed to be the trend nationally? Is, is there really a, a safety concern in the cities where these ordinances have been allowed to stand? Uh, what I found was that no, not really. Um, there are a handful of incidents where um, transgender-friendly uh, bathroom ordinances have uh, given cover to sexual predators who have gone in, you know, um, under the the ruse of being a transgender person and committed crimes. Um, But actually, if you look at the entire U.S., there haven't been any convictions. Part of that could be because a lot of these rules are still fairly new, and, you know, the justice system tends to move fairly slowly. The only conviction in all of North America that I was able to find um, was of a man in Toronto, Canada, um, who had posed as a woman to gain entry into a... uh, a women's shelter that was friendly to transgender people in Toronto there and had uh, raped several of the people at the shelter. Um, And there have been allegations of various levels of, you know, misdeeds in in the U.S. in cities that allow um, 
you know, transgender people to use the bathroom that they feel comfortable with. Um, none of them really rising to that level of rape or even serious sexual assault. Largely, it's been um, people often with kind of a, a, a torrid past going in and trying to videotape, videotape people in the bathroom or um, flashing or things like that. Um, but and A lot of these seem to be happening in cities that don't have any sort of ordinance on the books. It's just exactly. People are going into the, because the women's bathroom in a communal stall situation is not actually locked. You don't have to show an ID to get in there. So people who are creepy and are doing things that are criminal sometimes walk in. Exactly. And that's basically what it's turned out, um, that in cities that have the transgender laws, one, there's been no convictions. And even when you just look at the number of allegations, it's really no different from any other large cities. Um, You know, it basically looks like just, you know, people who are, you know, accused of, you know, doing things like this probably have some sort of mental illness or just inherent creepiness, and they don't care whether or not there's a, you know, a transgender ordinance, they're going to go ahead and do this anyway. So what I found was, yes, that basically cities with these transgender ordinances, which include some of the largest cities in the country, New York City, Washington, D.C., San Francisco, Seattle, there have been no proven instances of people using that ordinance in order to commit crimes in the bathroom. And that's not to say that there aren't valid, you know, privacy concerns that people hold or, um, you know, we've heard, you know, women, you know, who are opposed to Charlotte's ordinance talk about, you know, their own experience in the past having been sexually assaulted and how, you know, they might feel if they did see a biological male um, in the women's restroom. And, you know, I, I definitely don't mean to discount any of those fears or concerns, but just if you look at, you know, the actual instances of facts, it there just haven't been any. Yeah, so with the the PolitiFact you did, it was, uh, it was based on, I guess, Chris Groh's, uh statement from Equality NC that uh, something to the effect of, of there have not been instances. Right, he said, he said there have been no instances, and I rated that mostly true. It wasn't entirely true because there was the one instance in Canada, and there had been several yet unproven allegations um, in the U.S., but you know, in America, we say that people are innocent until proven guilty. Um, so as long as there's no convictions, we can't say that there have been any actual instances. I want to turn lastly to the uh, lighter side of all this. Uh, this has made North Carolina part of the national news for, for several weeks now. And uh, as a result of that, we've gotten into uh, a lot of the uh, the national comedy scene and, and had this law uh, lampooned in a bunch of places. Craig, you've been tracking uh, some of that. Uh, tell us who's been uh, making fun of North Carolina and a little bit of what they've, uh, what they've been saying about us on the talk shows and the comedy shows. Yeah, I think it might be a good time to be a comedian, but a bad time to be a politician. But uh, as has happened before on different social issues, uh, we've become kind of a punching bag and it kind of escalates really quickly at this point. The Daily Show did a segment. Uh, Seth Meyers at NBC did a segment. Saturday Night Live did a, uh, did a uh, video, did a skit that they, I, I don't think it's going to be on air, but it's, they posted it on their digital uh, uh, site that is a, uh, it's a parody of a 1980s uh, Chicago Bears uh, uh, thing, a uh, rap song called the Super Bowl Shuffle. This they call the Establishment Shuffle, and it goes on for like five or six minutes. It goes on forever, uh, basically taking shots at the GOP. Part of that is a, a guy pre- uh, making an effort of some sort to be Pat McCrory. 
not doing a very good job of yeah, that. Yeah, I personally. thought they needed research think. Pat McCrory no, very well. The gestures, the voices yeah. weren't really yeah, like know. McCrory, yeah. but. But anyway, it's all part of the, you know, let's have some fun at uh, North Carolina's expense. Um, there's been a bunch of little uh, parody videos that have shown up. One from Mississippi Tourism. I think the punchline was, we're not North Carolina, or we're North Carolina is, we're better than North Carolina. I don't know, but it's the same thing. North Carolina did a, did its own version of a uh, 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 tourism. Somebody chopped up a McCrory uh, video making him say just the opposite of what he was actually saying. It looked really bad that this state is an embarrassment and this is the direction that I, as governor, want us to go. Yeah, it's amazing like how much that. you can do with video editing these it's days. Amazing. Like, it, it, You could almost watch that and think that was actually the yeah. real video if he wasn't saying all these ludicrously, right. you know, things about the bill. As well as uh, the, his uh, McCrory sit-down in, uh, interview with Dr. Phil, which didn't yeah. really happen, but, you know, it looked pretty bad on the video. Uh, you know, then there's been the print, like The Onion, of course, and The New Yorker. Uh, did, did a piece. Um, a New Yorker's piece was, my God, uh, North Carolina's passed some kind of a law. We don't know what it is, but it can't be good. Uh, so, you know, that's, it's, it's, a, it's a liberal twist to the humor, but it's, the, the fact is, once again, we're a punching bag. And, uh, yeah. and, and we've good. seen lots of little, you know, Twitter accounts pop up. I think the, uh, well, the one I keep seeing is Pat's Potty Police, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's this whole alternate universe where there's actually people uh, hired by the governor to police restrooms and make sure people are the correct gender. Right. I think that was the New Yorker's uh, uh, satire piece was that, you know, on, the, on this day in Raleigh, North Carolina, the governor swore into office 1,000 potty officers. Yeah, I th- and I think in an O-columnist Barry Saunders actually <laughs> yeah. had a similar take on it. He it did, seems yeah. to be the, yeah. the the easy uh, the target for humor is the idea of a, of a bathroom police uh, coming out, right. which of course is not actually right. what this bill does, but uh, it's probably it the only way to really enforce it anyway. It, right, it can't be enforced, but uh, it's just this, you know, once again illustrates this deep cultural divide that's going on in the country. Uh, you know, whether it's funny or not, is depends on how you fall on that divide probably. All right. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Will. Uh, We will uh, return in just a moment with our final segment, Headliners of the Week. Stay with us. If you ever need an organ transplant, you will probably die before you get one. You can improve your odds by joining LifeSharers, and it's free. Visit LifeSharers.org or call 888-ORGAN-88. Welcome back to this week's Domecast, and now it's time for... Who is your Headliner of the Week? Who is your Headliner of the Week? Who is your Headliner of the Week? Headliner of the Week. Yes, indeed. It is indeed time for Headliners of the Week, our uh, most popular segment of the podcast. And uh, we're going to head-to-head battle this week between uh, Craig Jarvis and Will Doran of the News and Observer. So I'm going to start with Craig. Craig, who is your Headliner of the Week? Uh, State Senator Andy Wells from Hickory, he was leading an effort to uh, look for ways to eliminate or combine uh, occupational licensing board, like for acupuncture, acupuncturists and uh, electrolysis, that sort of thing. There's like 55 or so of these different licensing boards. So the, the thinking, obviously, uh, Republican kind of way of thinking, uh, is there's got to be some waste. This is, these 
agencies have been around forever. Uh, there must be a way to, uh, to to do some streamlining here. Well, they immediately ran into a, all the interests that those groups represent, which is substantial. And uh, they sat there for a couple of hours listening to people from all these different boards and uh, really backed down. They, several Republican members said, well, we didn't know it was this complicated or we could see these boards really do seem to serve a function. That We're not the first people to think about this, in other words. So they really put it on hold. They're going to chip away and work on it some more, but we're not going to say anything until the end of the year. And that's kind of a long-winded uh, nomination of Andy Wells, but that's... That's my choice. Yeah, all right. Andy Wells for the uh, licensing board uh, issue there. And that's one, I guess it was Americans for Prosperity has been pushing that yeah, pretty heavily on really, Twitter. Is, is They've had one that uh, I guess stuck out to me as, as the husband of a librarian, one that had a picture of a stereotypical librarian <laughs> and said, is your librarian licensed? And I guess right. there is a, a licensure process. I actually had to go back and bug my wife about that because I didn't realize that she even yeah. had a license. Apparently when she got her master's degree in library science, uh, when she was hired for a job in North Carolina, uh, she sent her grad school transcript to some state agency, which then sent her back, yes, you are a certified yeah. librarian. But For most of us, we would not you know, consider working with a non-licensed librarian. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they would probably get you the wrong book or, <laughs> yeah, you know, charge you too happen. much on a fine or something. Yeah. You would you would not want to do that. Yeah. All right, so Andy Wells in the hopper for Headliner of the Week. And turning next to Will Doran. Will, who's your Headliner of the Week? Uh, my headliner is Daniel Schulman, who is not a licensed librarian, to the best of my knowledge. <laughs> he is the CEO of PayPal, um, and he created quite a few headlines after he announced that uh, PayPal would be pulling out of Charlotte. Um, and, I mean, there has just been all sorts of backlash on that decision. And there's also been, you know, some good um, feedback from people saying, you know, good for you, putting your money where your mouth is. Um, but more so, it's been on the Republican side, um, you know, kind of dredging up PayPal's, uh, you know, international business dealings. Uh, he has had to relive uh, last year when they paid a nearly $8 million fine to the federal government because they had admitted that they had violated, you know, U.S. economic sanctions in some unsavory countries like we talked about earlier. They uh, And um, they also have, uh, you know, have done business in several countries where it is illegal to be gay, uh, which many people say is hypocritical for them to do business there, but, uh, you know, not want to be in North Carolina. Obviously, there's a big difference between employing 400 people somewhere versus just doing business online somewhere, but that's for other people than me to to litigate in the court of public opinion. The PayPal CEO, and I wonder if he's really going to get a, a backlash from this. I know that I, I looked through uh, campaign websites last week and to see which Republicans actually route their contributions through PayPal, and several of them did. Uh, Senate Leader Phil Berger, Dan Bishop, the uh, sponsor of House Bill 2. Uh, I need to check back next week and see if they're going to stick it to the PayPal CEO by uh, picking a different vendor to, to route their contributions through. Yeah, maybe they'll go Bitcoin or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You can donate donate in the form of Bitcoin to your favorite uh, state legislator. That'll be a, a a new development, and probably one we would have to do a whole segment on in here if that actually happened. All right, thanks, Will. So we've got a choice between uh, Senator Andy Wells on the uh, occupational licensure uh, discussion and uh, the PayPal CEO, and I'm gonna have to go with the PayPal CEO on this one because that was definitely uh, something that uh, attracted national headlines and I think surprised a lot of folks on on both sides of the issue that. Uh, Indeed, we are seeing economic repercussions for this, and it's not just a lot of uh, talk from uh, the business community that, that wants to identify uh, in, in favor of LGBT rights. 
Uh, so that's all the time we've got for Domecast this week. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in to us, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.